You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Ladies and gentlemen, the show is about to begin. Please fasten your seatbelts and keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times. This ride stops for no reason. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Distilling Theology. I'm your co-host, Blake Courtright, the Presbyterian of this dynamic duo. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of witty things to say like Justin does. I just have my clever voice and uh, modulate it down a pitch, which my wife frequently makes fun of me for because my coworkers today asked me what the podcast was called. And I said, oh, yeah, I do a podcast and it's called Distilling Theology. So, you know, I can't stop, won't stop. But on that note, I am not alone. Thank the Lord, because uh, I don't think I could do this podcast by myself. So uh, I'm joined by my Baptistic brother, Justin Van Riper. How you doing, bro? Well, that was quite an introduction, but I am I am doing very well. It's we been try. a hot minute since I've told the world that I am chuffed to bits, but I am indeed. And uh, I am I am healthy, happy. Um, I've been I'm coming on the tail end of like a, a little mini illness. Not exactly sure what it was. It wasn't the wasn't the coof. <laughs> and so that's I, your um, fans. Thank you. Thank all of you. All of you. Every single one of you. <laughs> I see you out there, mom, uh, dad. Uh, th- thank you, guys. <laughs> I love you guys. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I'm feeling better. Uh, finally, towards the end of this week, um, the weather has been. Uh, tremendous a little oh, bit yeah. warm some days obviously you know up in them 70s <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. We, we, it's a bit warm for us uh, north northern folk but um but it's not bad it's been it's been good <laughs> oh whoa are us it's 70 and sunny <laughs> is that like a is that like a new store for liberals <laughs> whoa are us oh <laughs> bro <laughs> woes are us um that was amazing (laughs) so good yeah so no man i've been good and um i am excited to to jump in tonight this is going to be a good one um it's it's a it's a weighty topic um speaking of heavy weights what are we drinking tonight oh man what a transition not since the days of podcasting began when we shifted from talk radio to talk podcasting uh has there been such a transition uh smoother than uh i don't know where i'm going with this we're drinking 291 (laughs) barrel proof single barrel colorado bourbon whiskey uh like most of the 291 stuff i think it might actually be all of it i'll have to double check this is finished with aspen staves and as i recall they actually toast those there at the distillery um and then incorporate them into the barrels to impart that really refreshing uh refreshing note that uh, they're known for. This particular bottling was barrel number 563, and it is bottled at 126, uh, sorry, 127.6 proof or 63.8% alcohol by volume. I am very excited for this, and I might actually add a drop of water after we taste it because I don't want to burn my taste buds off with such high proof whiskey, but we're going to start high proof because, you know, that's how we do nonsense. Nonsense. Also, side note. Burn them right off. And by side note, I mean kind of a big deal. Guys, we're announcing our giveaway winner at the end of this episode. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be lit. So uh, stay tuned to the end of the episode for that. It's going to be out of control. It's going to be out of control. I'm stoked, dude. Uh, our, Our winners, plural, will both be receiving copies of Matthew Barrett's books, Simply Trinity and None Greater, which are an amazing, uh, educated, lay level and, and like for the pastors, for elders, books on the attributes of God and the doctrine of the Trinity and divine simplicity and just so, so good. Uh, and someone's going to walk away with two Distilling Theology Glen Karen glasses and the other one's going to get a Distilling Theology mug. So everybody wins. 
Except for those. It, this uh, is what who, we call a win-win. <laughs> but the winners will be winning. There are no losers <laughs> among the winners. This is. I'm digging a very deep hole. We're gonna have more giveaways. Uh, Justin, what do you what do you smell on this whiskey? <laughs> um. Yeah, this is this already. I've been smelling it for a few minutes here. It, yeah, it's very sweet and rich. Um, I mean, you you have you have the salt, you have the caramel, you have the baking spices. There's that fresh alpine scent that I remember with every 291 whiskey we've tried from that Aspen yep. Stave. Like it, yep. it's actually amazing to me how strongly <laughs> that affects this. Right, the the impact it has. Yeah, a little leaven. Leavens the whole loaf. In this case, a little aspen aspens the whole barrel. <laughs> a little stave aspens the whole barrel. <laughs> there it is. There it is, folks. <laughs> and this is single barrel barrel proof. And as they say, uh, the proof is in the barrel. <laughs> I forgot. They do say that. <laughs> I do. I've only said that joke like three times, but I'm glad I still got you to chuckle. So, uh, welcome. No, if you guys is, want the um, full behind the scenes experience, join us on Patreon. Yes, you, you believe me. You don't want to miss it. Not I'm, this I'm week. Sure. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, dude, this um, is so good. Yeah, uh, black fruit, pepper. It's pretty herbaceous. Definitely. Um, Definitely, uh, the more you sniff it, the more oaky it gets. And it's interesting to me. I mean, I'm not surprised based on 291, um, but it is interesting to me how how clean that Aspen brightness and that like Alpine scent is cutting yeah. through, especially with the barrel-proof whiskey. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, well, now I guess it was a couple of months ago, we tasted Stag Jr., which is just like mm. all of the indulgent fall spices and brown sugar and molasses and crazy heavy, right? This doesn't smell nearly as heavy. It's a little deceptive. Like if I just picked this up, I don't know if I would know from the nose alone that it was so high proof. Yeah, I agree. It's it's not very um it's not muddy, it's not muddled, no. it's not it's very crisp, very clean. Like yeah. you said it it's a that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to uh to taste it. So uh let's, let's get after do. it, brother. Cheers. Well That's a win. <laughs> that, that's the, a, wait, what's our, that guy? That's a ten. <laughs> yeah. Our live studio audience approves. So um, <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, this is this is delicious. I um it, yeah, so, you, so it, the, the proof comes through on the on the palate much more. Yeah, very very strong. Pronounced. Um, it's a, it's a it's a weightlifting bourbon for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, once it settles, you get those tropical notes. Yeah. Um, with the caramel, um, peppers, hops, even. Um, yeah, I can see that. That's good. I'm going in. Yeah. I'm going in for round two here. Round two, yeah. That like black peppery note as well that's in there, and and amazing to me though. Despite the heat, like I definitely feel it going going down the pipe. Um, it uh, it has that cooling effect from the aspen stave as well. Yeah, like that alpine air. It's crazy. I love what these guys do. Like every everything we've um, had almost, from them is it's, amazing. It's almost. It's just shy of like almost minty. Mm -hmm. Um. Like a menthol. Right. It's the same. I, I would say it's a similar mm -hmm. sensation, but the flavor isn't, isn't. Agreed. There, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a much more herbal, um, piney flavor than it is a minty flavor. Um, I mean, well, obviously I'm it's some... aspen-y flavor, but you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm kidding. Bless laughs> There's I'm a reason young. we're not dispensationalists. We're not like biblicist literate, uh, literalists. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to make that joke and I, I tripped over myself early on the way. So. You tripped over the Aspen stave on the way? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, that's save um, off these dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Listen, it's in our intro. Distilled Spirits. Christian theology and dad jokes. And dad jokes. So uh, you're signed up for at least one of those three things and you're 
on the ride for the other two if you're not on board with <laughs> Thank you for listening. And thank you for your financial support. Listen, this is good. This is very good. <laughs> that's, that's what it boils down to. This is good. You should buy this and you should drink it because it's really good. It's really good, yeah. And, and it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a robust, complex top uh, a whiskey. But like our topic tonight, it's also got enough on the surface level that you can just enjoy it on that. Um, but we can also dive deep. But before we dive deep, let's dive deep in prayer uh, from the Valley of Vision, the compilation of Puritan prayers published by our friends at Banner of Truth. Um, we talk about it every week, but like truly, it, it is a Christocentric, gospel-focused, scripture-saturated work uh, of these Puritan prayers. And they constantly challenge me in how puny and frankly pathetic my prayer life is, right? How wimpy and uh, self-serving and self-aggrandizing my own prayers can be. And then I read what these faithful men of old wrote. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, yep. that that's me. I'm, I'm the guy who's the wretch and who's, I, I haven't, my privileges have not, uh, aligned with what I've done with what God has given me. I am the servant that buried the talents, right? Like, and it and it hits us with that. Like, I I, yeah. I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but <clears throat> it's true. We're like we are we are we're the we're the Israelites that are sh- like hiding behind Saul when Goliath comes out. We're not David. <laughs> That's right. Christ. Surprise. Right. Uh, anyhow, so on that note, you're not. Dave. That's also in our intro. That is. Uh, so good so justin yeah. uh which prayer are we reading yeah uh 291 <laughs> just kidding 292 it should so have been close. 291 we're so close uh page 292 um of their of, of your valley vision presuming you have this particular copy um there are a couple sure. different copies out there that is true uh, but uh, the prayer is called joy so join with us oh christ all thy ways of mercy tend to and end in my delight Thou didst weep, sorrow, suffer, that I might rejoice. For my joy thou hast sent me the Comforter. Multiplied thy promises, shown me my future happiness, given me a living fountain. Thou art preparing joy for me, and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, and long for joy. Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. Measure me out, measure out to me my times and degrees of joy at my work, business, duties. If I weep at night, give me joy in the morning. Let me rest in the, in the thought of thy love. Pardon for my sin, my title to heaven, my future unspotted state. I am an unworthy recipient of thy grace. I often dis- disesteem thy blood and slight thy love. But can in repentance draw water from the wells of thy joyous forgiveness? Let my heart leap, leap toward the eternal Sabbath where the work of redemption, sanctification, preservation, glorification is finished and perfected forever, where thou wilt rejoice over me with joy. There is no joy like the joy of heaven, for in that state are no sad divisions, unchristian quarrels, contentions, evil designs, weariness, hunger, cold, sadness, sin, suffering, persecutions, toils of duty. O healthful place where none are sick, O happy land where all are kings, O holy assembly where all are priests, how free a state where none are servants except to thee. Bring me speedily to the land of joy. Amen. And see, that's why I'm happy to call you a king, my friend. (laughs) Oh my. Oh my. Here we are. Yeah, man. All right. So speaking of joy, our joy is found in Christ. Mm. Speaking of Christ, (laughs) who is our mediator. (laughs) Oh, man. We are going to turn uh, today to the Chalcedonian definition, first published in 451. Blake, I am excited. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm excited to jump into this. Um, Christology is a tremendously large topic and it is probably one of the most important topics 
when it comes to our salvation. Because when you get Christ wrong, <laughs> look, look at the cults, <laughs> look at yeah. every cult. <laughs> yeah. um, this is, this is important. This is our salvation at stake. Um, obviously there are things that we could really dive into that aren't necessarily salvific, depending on how deep you want to dig. Sure. Um, but understanding the fundamental nature of who Christ is, um, especially in regards to uh, understanding the Trinity, which is something we've been talking about a lot recently yeah. um, in the Godhead, this is of utmost importance. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I don't know if you want to tell people a little bit about the Chalcedonian definition, but by all means. So Chalcedon is a answer, not mm-hmm. to one heresy, but to two. At the time that it was being written, there were two opposing heresies that were threatening the church, right? If we recall back to the Nicene Creed, we're facing up against Arianism particularly, and we're writing a creed specifically in a way that the Arians cannot affirm it, right? We're writing uh, in a way that affirms the deity of the Son and the co-equality with the Father. So now what's happening in Chalcedon, a little bit of background, and those of you in church history, forgive me, I'm not a church historian. This is not my primary strength, but because of my own journey, uh, it is something I've reflected on quite extensively. So on the one hand, you have Nestorianism, which was a heretical teaching by a man named Nestorius, which was asserting the division of the person of Christ. So that functionally, you know, and again, I'm not a historian, so I'm not going to go into a bunch of quotations here. Someone else is far more qualified than me to do that. But the gist of what Nestorianism was saying is there's the divine person of Christ and there's the, and there's the human person of Christ. And so you almost have this schizophrenic picture of our Savior and that because he has two different natures, well, those natures are so different and so distinct that they must really be two different personae. Right. That's that's the gist of it. And again, I'm sure someone can correct me. Uh, and and as you should, if I'm uh, misspeaking a little bit here. But on the flip side, with Eutychianism, we are seeing the conflation, or the confusion, or the blending of those natures. And this is most commonly going to be going to show up as a deification of human nature in the incarnation, or the humanization of divine nature. Both of which are yeah. problems. Because this is representing ontological changes. On the flip side, Nestorianism is over-separating the person of Christ and dividing his person in a, in a really <clears throat> detrimental way to our salvation and to yeah. our understanding of all of Scripture. And so what happens here? The, the, the church came together to confront both of these heresies at the same time with a sequence of denials. There's the quadruple denial here. Uh, that we'll get to when we read the definition. Yeah. But those, when we think about Nestorianism on the one hand, dividing the person, and um, Eutychianism on the other hand, conflating, collapsing, confusing the natures, this definition does less to tell us a positive presentation of how the incarnation works, and it is more a set of safeguards to protect us from error. Specifically, these two errors on opposite ends of the post. Forgive me if my church history is a little sloppy, but Justin, you can jump in and save us. I was going to say that the the council of Chalcedon, right, was uh, held in Asia Minor, right? Um, And it was reaffirming simply the statements of Nicaea, right, already Um, from 352 and Constantinople. (laughs) Blame Constantine, uh, 381, um, (laughs) right? It confessed Christ as one person with two natures, human and divine, um, which are united and not mixed, and then that became, of course, what we understand as the orthodox uh, understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, right? Um, so, yeah, so you may hear the term Chalcedonian Christology. That all, that's all that is, right? It's the teachings uh, about the person of Christ according to the Council of Chalcedon um, that, they were, that, that was established in, in 451, right? So reaffirmed Nicaea, reaffirmed Constantinople, rejected the Nestorians, and uh, I mean— Everybody that was at that basically attacking the nature of Christ at that point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Eutychians, right? Um, so I think what we should do is just jump in, read it, um, yeah. and then go from there. Uh, it's not terribly long. No. Um, 
I don't know if you want to read or if I want to read or if we're just going to split this baby in half. Uh, I'll um, just I'll just read it. We'll we'll, uh, okay. we'll, we'll read it and uh, go from there. So, all right, I'll read it in uh, Greek. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll be good. I, I'm excited to hear that. Uh, so, this is the Chalcedonian definition, first published in 451 in English. Uh, translated into English. I don't think it was published in English. In <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, sorry for the dad jokes. All right. I'm not that sorry. So <laughs> the definition begins. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God, and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time, of one substance with us as regards his manhood. Like us in all respects apart from sin, as regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, but yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of the natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten God the Word, Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of him. And our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, and the creed of the fathers has handed down to us. So there it is. If Beautiful. you've never read it before, go to Reform Standards. Uh, scroll down to the ancient creed section and click on it. Well, first of all, go through Apostles and Nicene Creed because it's very important and useful <laughs> to get to this yeah. point as they're re- referencing back to Nicaea. But you can see in here, the verbiage is so specific to exclude these opposite errors. The desire to, uh, where is that in the middle here? To confuse, change, divide, or separate the natures, right? On the one hand, to confuse or change the natures, either blending them together or, or representing change in divinity or true change to humanity, making it deified or humanized divinity. Or on the flip side, overly dividing and, yeah. and separating, right? Sproul had this great connection uh, or, or this great comment that he would make uh, when I would listen to some of his lectures. And he would say, distinction and separation are two very different things. If I distinguish your soul and your body, I've done nothing to you. Right. If I separate your soul from your body, I've killed you. Like this is, a, and language is supremely important. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to release our episode that's on Patreon uh, or part of our episode with Dr. James Dolezal. And man, talk about how significant language is. And the language mm-hmm. here is very intentional here. Nature, substance, right? like being. There, there is a, a, a strength here um, to what's being articulated. And I think, Sure. A lot of our modern problems in the church, I mean, we say this every week, and so it sounds like a broken record, but a lot of our modern problems in the church would at least be mitigated, I think, to a large extent if we were actually steeped in our historic orthodoxy. Right. How important is our history? I mean, we, right. just just if we separate from theology just briefly, we forget where we've come as a country, right? We yeah. forget that we were f- founded on the backs of Christians, uh, who who gave us law that was based on biblical principles. So we've forgotten our country's history and look where that's led. Similarly, uh, and in a much more um, significant and important matter, when we forget where we've come from theologically, right, that's when we stray, right? That we were given the creeds and confessions as a means to prevent re- repeating these heresies that the church has dealt with uh, already. Um so understanding uh, what we understand is the hypostatic union, right? The the dual natures of Christ. Um, although he does possess two distinct and complete natures, yes, he is simultaneously fully God, fully man, a hundred percent God, a hundred percent man, right? He's not again divine simplicity. He is not made up of parts, so to speak. God is not made up of parts. Um, so when we say he is a hundred percent God, he is a hundred percent God, but he took on. Uh, 
human flesh <laughs> and took on right. a human nature. Uh, and he's also fully man. But like you yeah. said, you can't, you can't, you can, you can distinguish those things, but you can't separate those things. Right. This is this is also is kind of a rabbit trail. If you guys want to go down, this is also the problem with images of Christ. Yes. And um, come on. And and two CVs. Right. Second commandment violations. Right. Why do we as uh, reformed individuals uh, say that the second commandment prohibits uh, any sort of depiction of the divine? Right. Why is that the case? And this is in part why specifically with, with regards to Christ, why we don't affirm any images of such. Because then you are now separating. You're no longer distinguishing, but you're separating Christ from his his divine nature, um, yeah. and and creating <laughs> creating an idol. Um, yeah. So yeah, running through here, right? Um, following the Holy Fathers, we all, with one accord, right? We all together are teaching men to acknowledge the one and the same Son, our Lord Christ, who is complete in the Godhead. So right there in the beginning, uh, we're dealing with um, Christ's divine nature, right? The fact that he is fully God right in the very beginning of this statement. Um, and that we, that, and that we must recognize that, but also his complete manhood, right? Truly God and truly man. Um, I've also heard very God and very man yeah. or, uh, in different, in different creeds as well. Uh, the apostles creed, for example, or Nicene creed, particularly, um, one substance with the father. And at the same time, he he can relate to us truly because he has he has a substance with us in regards to his manhood yeah right um yeah go ahead you, you oh i was you. just you mentioned the nicene creed and i just wanted to pull this up real yeah. quick here so i'll just read the first two statements um and obviously we also believe in the holy ghost so i'm not ignoring the trinity here but specifically we're talking about christology right so we believe in god in one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible and, and the creed is also doing something here. As a Unitarian, I would attack this, and I used to just try to tear this apart, but I didn't realize they were doing the same thing the apostles did, where they would right. say, one God and one Lord. Okay, well, who is Lord? None is Lord, but, but the Lord, Yahweh, God, right? So there's one God, the Father, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Right? And this is basically just John 1, with a little bit of, of some of John's sure. Christology from his epistles, right? But, it, but mm -hmm. this is basically just John 1, right? Begotten, not made, uh, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. But very God... Uh, a very God. And in Chalcedon, we see, or Chalcedon, I don't know exactly how to say it. I say Chalcedon. Uh, truly God and truly man. Um, complete in Godhead. Now, I do remember, and I, I don't want to rabbit trail too hard here, but I wanted to go to Colossians 1 very briefly here. Because again, as Unitarian, and some of you may encounter Unitarians, you may encounter the, the kind, the, the flavor I was, or Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons. And we would argue, and obviously we had our verses and our ways to get around Colossians. But, it's important here. I'm not going to read the whole section. I highly recommend you read the whole epistle, but specifically zeroing in here. This is talking about, um, I'll just pick it up in 112, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of who? Of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's a whole Christological statement right there that we're not even, yeah. we're, we'll, there'll be another episode to get here. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, right? And again, firstborn, we're talking about preeminence. Mm -hmm. For by him, all things were created. Hello, John 1. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, that is Christ, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And that's uh, through verse 20. But I want to zero in on that, right? In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So very God or truly God or fully God, that language is straight out of Colossians. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. And, and it's in the Chalcedon. It's right. It's in, it's in right. the words of Chalcedon. It's also in our confessions. Yep. Right. Um, um, chapter eight, article two of the London Baptist starts off with uh, the son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity being very and eternal God. Right. Yes. And then it goes on with the same stuff. The one substance in equal with uh, who made the world, right? The father who upholdeth and governeth all things. Um, and it goes on and on. This language is important and it's there intentionally. All right. It's it's biblical language uh, and it's language that is very meaningful um, to give us a, a more accurate or a, a broader description of the not just not just who, who Christ is, but his nature. Right. The nature of Christ. Um, it, it's impossible to look at the scriptures uh, honestly and come to any other conclusion that than that he is God. And any of these any of these religions, these faiths. These uh, fakers uh, are who who, do, who deny the deity of Christ cannot look at the scripture honestly. Uh, they must, in some way, uh, presuppose something and eisegete it into the text to put it into the text to redefine the things that are clearly, very clearly, and 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 abundantly said uh, about the nature of Christ. Um, and you also then, of course, have to reject all of church history and everything else <laughs> um, uh, to get to get oh, yeah. to those conclusions as well. Um, which again is why praise God that He allowed these articles to come into existence uh, for our edification um, from these these wonderful men of God uh, who assembled these things. Um, and as we've alluded to, oftentimes yeah. these are directly in confrontation to heresy. So heresy. Yes. Historically helps the church to define her doctrine more crystalline and clearly. And we end up with these kinds of ecumenical creeds, uh, reformed confessions. And then even in the contemporary day, right, we have catechisms being written by faithful believers confronting the errors of our day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What I, what I like is as it continues, just as we work, work through this here. Right. Um, in his in his manhood, he's like us in all respects. Apart from sin, obviously he was sinless. Um, but I like I like that it continues as regards to the Godhead begotten before the Father, before the ages. So we get to the eternal relations of origin. Right. He's been the Son eternally. Right. <laughs> this is where we draw our distinction between the Father and the Son, um, which we which we talked about uh, in the last several episodes. But then it goes on to talk about. Um, uh, for our, for men and our salvation of the Mary, the Virgin, right? The God bearer, one in the same Christ, son, Lord begotten, uh, and so on. It's important to recognize that Christ was born of a virgin, right? First of all, you hear the, you hear the silly people who always say, well, there's lots of virgin birth stories in history. Well, really there weren't that many. It's not nearly as common as they'd have you believe. Um, <laughs> just for the record. Um, but why was Christ born of a virgin? Well, this is this ties directly into covenant theology, right? Come on, God makes a covenant uh, with mankind, right? And we break the covenant with sin, and in order for Christ to come sinless, right, but still be a man, so he's he's born from a woman to become a man, fully man, and yet he doesn't inherit the federal head, the seed of Adam, right? So Adam is held responsible for both his and Eve's sin, right? You have your federal headship there. You have Adam representing mankind. The seed is tainted because of sin. And so we all inherit Adam's seed, therefore sin nature, right? By nature, we are sinners. Um, We are born uh, in iniquities. And yet Christ comes and is never touched by the seed of man, right? He is born of a virgin. He is born... Like all humans are born, and yet he never inherits that sin nature, um, which is one of the most significant things about the whole virgin. This is why the virgin birth is imperative to the gospel, right? 
in order for Christ to be yes. sinless, he can't inherit sin. Um, so I, I love that, that they don't neglect that here um, because that would be a, a grave disservice to the gospel. Yeah, and if you guys want a, a more extended conversation on that, I think we had our, if I'm remembering my DT history correctly, speaking <laughs> of remembering our history, uh, I think it was episode 37, Is Man a Bad Guy? A discussion mm-hmm. of the fall of man with Eric, where we talked about the fourfold state of man and we talked about the virgin birth, particularly we related a, to our we sin We need nature. a DT Bible where no. we can... Whoa. <laughs> no, 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 listen. Uh, oh, a lot of writers will uh, create what they call a Bible, not not a holy Bible, oh, yeah, yeah. but they'll create a Bible to, to have a reference to everything that they write about their characters, everything else. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we need, a, we need a DT one so that we can know where all of our, and we sort of have that with a spreadsheet, but yeah. Oh you know, yeah. You guys should see this thing. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's color coded. It is. It is. <laughs> Cause you know, we're, we're colorful characters. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, this creed, this definition I love what it does here, right? It It's amazing to me, too, because these guys that are on the EFS kick, one of them, I'm not going to name him because he gets enough airplay as it is. Um, he actually said on Twitter, you classical theism got like, you guys who are against EFS, you just like Nicaea too much. <laughs> like, he actually typed that out, and he's a professor. He's not and then dumb. he sent it. He and, then, yeah. it and then he hit send. Congratulations. You yourself. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, you're smarter than this. What are you doing? It makes me think of this uh, this quote I just saw on Twitter from uh, Carl Truman. Um, it says, the Nicene Creed is still doing sterling work after over 1,600 years. That fact should make us very cautious about deciding to abandon it just because the latest trendy evangelical guru or the cutting-edge professor at the local <laughs> university decides it's outmoded. <laughs> Savage. Bro. Fatality. <laughs> Carl Carl do be like that. But but truly though. Apostles Creed, Nicene Creed, Chalcedonian definition. There's a lot of heavy lifting here. If you go back to our episode with Matthew Barrett two weeks ago, and those of you that are going to be our giveaway winners announced at the end of this episode, uh get after it, particularly in Simply Trinity, when he talks about the processions. Right? Because what's People will say, well, what's the actual distinction? If the distinction isn't in the operations, if the distinction isn't in um, personality or in different, um, you know, different wills like EFET, like these things are doing, then, then where is it? It's in the processions. Right. It's in the Father <laughs> unbegotten. It's in the Son eternally begotten and the Spirit eternally spirated. There's your real, true actual eternal relations of origin your eternal distinctions between father son and holy spirit yet perfectly united one one in essence three in person and yeah the one god who is one in being acts inseparably because he's one god yeah Yeah. and yet there are these real distinctions but but it's right here right one substance with the father um speaking of his begotten of the father before all ages yet as regards his manhood begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin. There is so much packed in here. And obviously we can, we're not going to get to all of it tonight. Um, but knowing the, the, the Christological heresies that were facing the church at the time, it is useful for us today to refresh this stuff. And again, these things, right? Uh, the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures without confusion. So we're not, we're not confusing the divine and human. We're not humanizing deity. We're not deifying humanity. We're not changing divinity because then he wouldn't be immutable or impassable. But we're also not dividing the person and making him into two Christs. And we're not separating right. the natures that are hypostatically united right. in the person of well, Christ. What's interesting is um, with how much Gnosticism is out there that you don't hear anyone talking about, at least not now, anyone who holds to any sort of Gnostic tendencies that Christ's human nature must in some way be bad because it's made of matter. Yeah. It's made of material. Um, and I think that's an interesting inconsistency amongst uh, the Gnostic views, right? Um, it, this, this idea for those who, who maybe don't know, because we say, we say a lot of these words and, and terms and groups and Gnosticism sure. is just this idea that matter, the created things are bad. 
and spiritual is good and yeah. so on. There's more to it, but that's like one of the fundamental baselines. And so um, if that were true, of course, a Christ's human nature would not be good, right? <laughs> but we know that it is. Um, I mean, we see that in Genesis, right? When God creates everything, he calls it very good, right? Sin has tainted these things, um, but he's making them new and making them gooder. <laughs> <laughs> Very technical language. Gooder. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, gooder. Let's see here. <laughs> I am amused. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot here. There's a lot of things that we, as Christians, need to retrieve because we've lost so much of this doctrine. So many essential things. And I think this following line, right, where we, the creed or the definition tells us in relatively simple and straightforward language without confusion, right? We recognize the two natures of the one and same Christ. It's, it's doing a lot of work here, right? One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten. These are titles to define the Son. Recognized in two natures. Again, our Trinitarian theology, we remember God is one in being, one nature, subsisting in three persons, or three subsistences, or three hypostases, right? So hence we have a hypostatic or hypostasis, right? Hypostatic union, two natures, but the two natures are not confused, changed, nor are they divided and separated. The creed says, right, the distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union. And so whatever we say, and again, this is, you'll notice this isn't super technical in explaining the hypostatic union, but it is reminding us very blatantly. The distinction of the two natures is in no way annulled by the union. So it is telling us out, outright, we cannot say that, well, because Christ is united in this way, these natures aren't distinct anymore, right? It goes on even further, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person in subsistence, nor has parted or separated into two persons, but one of the same son and only begotten God, the word, Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of him. And as our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, and the creed of our fathers has handed down to us. And so this is huge. And we need to look back to our historic church roots. And we're going to. Don't worry. This, this yeah. episode is just a teaser to whet your appetite for Christology. <laughs> this is going to be uh, a, a, an ongoing series. Uh, yeah, well, guys, no we got to go through we got to go through our confessions. Uh, we have to see where we agree. Hopefully it's everywhere. Because yeah. <laughs> if it's not, we got are, problems. Yeah, yo. <laughs> yeah. This is not one of the areas where we're going to have any real difference of any kind, um, because we are brothers in Christ. Um, mm. But yeah, we we definitely need to go through the confessions, and uh, and it may behoove us um, to to learn more. Um, maybe get some get some books on the subject. Um, but guys, th these are some of the most fundamental doctrines um, that we see in some of the most fundamental uh, articles of our faith, right? The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, right? Th these creeds were, were created in such a way that they're certainly not everything we need to know about the faith. Uh, and they're certainly not all the essential doctrines. However, it is the bare minimum to say you must affirm this in order to be considered even part of the faith, right? If you reject what's in the Apostles' Creed, you are rejecting Christianity as it has always been taught. And so there's a reason it touches on uh, the nature of Christ. There's a reason why it focuses on Christ so heavily, um, right? Uh, his, his being fully God, his being fully man, his being born of a virgin, you know, his, his suffering under Pontius Pilate, his, his, um, his being dead, buried, and resurrected. All these things are incredibly important. And so Christology, uh, even though we've only touched the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, um, we are going to, we are going to start digging. Um, also reformstandards.com head over there cause you, Just you can it. read this for yourself. Just get on. There's all these, all the articles that you could possibly need 
uh, <laughs> um, to get started in understanding the history of the Reformed Church uh, is, is right there. It's right there for you to read. This um, is the way. Yeah. This is so good. And guys, it's time to announce our giveaway winner. The winners of our most entered giveaway in Distilling Theology History. Justin, how many people entered to win? Guys, this was amazing. This was easily our most entered uh, with 295 contestants. Uh, we are hype. We are super hype. And you know what? It just makes me excited for our next giveaway. Oh, snap. <laughs> and now we're about to announce so, our winners. Winners, plural. Congratulations to our runner-up, our second place, our first ever second place winner. Nathan Massey, congratulations. Congratulations. You will get our books. You will get an mug. Congratulations. We are so proud of you. Thank you for all your entries. Well done. Well done. Well done. Hope you enjoy the books. Hope you enjoy drinking coffee out of the mug. But the giveaway is not over yet. No, ladies and gentlemen, there's more. But wait, there's more. Literally. For our grand prize winner, the first time in Distilling Theology history, we've had two giveaway winners. This person will receive both books, Simply Trinity and None Greater, and two Distilling Theology Glen Karen glasses. Justin, I am so excited as we draw this final name here. Guys, thanks for sticking with us as I try to find my sound effects. The winner is Sarah Martin. Congratulations. Thank you so much for your entries. Thank you to everyone, all 295 of you that entered this giveaway. Guys, we are so overwhelmed and excited. We hope our winners enjoy the books. We hope the rest of you will go get the books, Simply Trinity and None Greater, because they're amazing and you should get your hands on them. So, uh, guys, congratulations, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Wow, guys, congratulations to our winners. Um, It has been the first time that we've had multiple winners for a giveaway so good. on our show. And uh, who knows? Maybe next time we'll have a trilogy of winners. Whoa. I, <laughs> <this guy laughs> I'm not making any promises. But uh, you never know unless you subscribe to us. Whoa. <laughs> Smash that like button. No. Oh, um, <laughs> no, guys, congratulations. Really enjoy uh, the merch. Enjoy the books. They are phenomenal books. Yes. Um, if anybody is looking for some sort of primer on... Um, the attributes of God mm-hmm. and in understanding uh, the nature of the Trinity. These are definitely places to look. Um, yes. Matthew is amazing uh, in its wonderful works. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Guys. Awesome. And uh, keep your eyes out because we will have more giveaways for sure. We sure will. For sure. Um, again, Easter eggs. What? Anyway, what? carry on. <laughs> Also, guys, if you want to get more DT, if you want to see the hilarity that ensued while we were recording this episode, uh, as well as our entire extended conversation with all of our guests, but particularly I'm thinking the one with James Dolezal that's not even released to the main show yet, you can join us over on Patreon. Starting at $4.99 per month, you'll get early releases, video streams of these episodes, and a discount at shopdistillingtheology.com. If you join us at $14.99 per month, after your first three months, you'll receive everything above. But after three months, you're going to get uh, an exclusive Patreon mug, and you're going to get extra bonus content. It's pretty fun. We've been doing some Distilling Theology reacts to heresy and reacts to other systems of theology, so uh, (laughs) you're not going to want to miss out on that. If you want that kind of bonus content, but you're not feeling a mug, well, you can join us at $29.99 per month. And after three months, you're going to get an exclusive Distilling Theology frosted Glencairn glass. These are not going to be sold anywhere. These are only for our Patreons at this level. Plus, you get extra money off at shopdistillingtheology.com if you want a warm blanket uh, or something else from over there to... Uh, <laughs> uh, probably not this time of year, but we have we have other stuff coming, so stay tuned for that. Or yeah, our, our latest, highest level here, we have a couple people that have joined us here. $49.99 per month. Uh, same thing as before. Extra bonus content, but after three months, you'll get a pair of these Patreon exclusive uh, frosted Glencairn glasses, which if you're on Patreon right now, uh, you can see Justin is showing them off and I have two of them on my desk. Listen, here, for so. those of you who are here already who are considering upgrading, uh, these are they're beautiful, the coolest Glens. They, as soon as I had one in my hands, I'm like, this is my favorite thing to drink from. It is. You You have. is. I've only seen you drink from that since yeah. we got them. So. <laughs> yeah, they're so, awesome. 
and that's the thing, right? Justin and I get merch that we like, both for uh, our main store and then for our Patreons, because we want to have it too. Uh, and Justin, if people want more of our content, where can they go? Y'all, you know how it be in 2022, right? In the you, year of our Lord. Your mother, listen, you, your mother, your grandmother, y'all have a Facebook. So hop on that jazz, head over to the search bar and search for Distilling Theology. You will find a page that you can like in a group that you can join. Please join our group. Uh, we love having discussions there. Um, everything from memes uh, to robust book and um, and whiskey reviews uh, to theological discussions and debates, all while maintaining our badge of honor that is being the most reformed or the most state, the most, re- <laughs> the most reformed, the most I don't know sage stage reformed Facebook group on the internet. Um, guys, the comment section is in control <laughs> there. It is, it is. <laughs> and uh, we are, we are really, really uh, thankful to all of you who genuinely join us every day in that group and have fun discussions and encourage one another and, and pray for one another. Um, it's a great place of fellowship on the internet, uh, especially in a, in a world that is so incredibly dark, um, especially online. Uh, it's a great place of encouragement to me every day to see everybody on there discussing all these wonderful things uh, to the glory of God. Uh, also, join us on Twitter, on the new Freedom Twitter. Join us over there at Distilling Tea. Uh, not T-E-A like the, like the silly British, but just the, the letter T. Uh, also, join us on Instagram at Distilling Theology. You'll get great photographic reviews of all kinds of glorious things. And um, guys... Listen, we love you. And if you need more podcasting content, Blake, where can they go? You should head over to the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reformed perspective. I'm not going to read the whole roll call because it keeps changing and growing, and I used to have it memorized, and then it changed a few times, and the society is amazing. Just go to reformedpodcasts.com. You can subscribe to the mega feed, get the back catalog of all these programs. Uh, I know... My wife's aunt has gotten through our entire podcast and then went and has like almost gotten caught up on the entire Reformed Brotherhood catalog and it's just going through it. So guys, be like her and yeah. <laughs> get with it because uh, we're falling behind. I feel be like I'm like slacking. Her. <laughs> I feel like I'm slacking, man. She's just uh, sure. crushing it. Um, and uh, guys, whether or not you're crushing it right now, whatever you do and whatever it be like, <laughs> Whether you eat or drink, (laughs) do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria, friends.